Hey, this is Scotty Vermillion. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Daniel Boone podcast today. We would like to invite you to worship with us at Daniel Boone Baptist Church in Gate City, Virginia on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. Or you can join us on Facebook for live sermons and daily interactions that will keep you in touch with God and in step with His kingdom. You guys want to uh, turn to Genesis chapter 4 and just, I'll be there in a few minutes. He don't want to go. (laughs) He can stay. Genesis chapter 4, that's where we'll be. And I don't have this whole passage on the screen, so you'll have to follow me in, in the written word today, okay? But I've got some others up here. Let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. And I just pray that you would speak and dismiss me. Lord, that's what I need and I know that's what they need. So God, pray you do that in these moments. And Lord, certainly uh, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Help us to be changed from this place when when we're finished here, when you're finished with us, so that we can go out and influence a, a lost world, a lost culture. That's our prayer and desire in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, life seems to always pull, uh, pull us in one of two paths, you know, one of two directions. I feel like I'm constantly having to make choices. Do you all feel that way? I mean, it, it's like I don't get a break from a choice, you know, and, and it's, it's not always good and bad, although today we're going to learn that there are some choices that are right and wrong, and there's some consequences to that. But sometimes it's just choices like, you know, good and good. You know what I mean? And you have to make choices uh, and not be double-minded. But I feel like I'm constantly there. You know, growing up, um, I was thinking this week, Leanne and I were talking. We had an abundance of certain things. And here's here's what got our conversation going. We were talking about how um, we were here cleaning the church. I think that's how, how this came about. But we were talking about how some children, some kids, some people disregard um, – other people's things and 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 don't take care don't value things and and we were just discussing how you know we were raised different than that uh, and we were talking about how, how do you get to that point I guess in your raising when I mean, you're raising your kids you know I know for me for us personally we wanted to give our kids more than we had we wanted to give them a better bicycle a better car Nikes before the ninth grade. You know, I told you all that story. I got my first Nikes in ninth grade. I mean, we wanted our kids to have the best, to play for the best uh, travel teams or AAU teams, to go and compete against the best in the world. That that was that was our goal. And I started thinking uh, after we went out of here. Sometimes in giving our kids and even ourselves the best of what we think we need or want, sometimes we miss some stuff. And uh, the reason I say that is because we were discussing how the reason we value a dollar is because we didn't always have a dollar. You know what I mean? The reason we were able to go and put up hay or tobacco or or work in the different things that we did, mow yards, whatever, is because we understood that if I wanted to gas money, I had to make some money to put it into the to the vehicle. And so mom and dad didn't always just hand us what we wanted, although we had absolutely everything we needed. But I told you a few weeks ago, mom worked three jobs and uh, when my brother's in college. And th- those are all lessons that we give our children. Sometimes in scarcity, 
it produces an abundance of things that we really need like this, an abundance of the right kind of people in your life. You know, instead of me getting in a car and being able to go everywhere, I had to go visit my Nana, my Papa, my cousins up on the hill, my Uncle Herschel. So I was visiting people where I could walk and go. And now looking back, those are the most important people in my life because they gave me the values, you know, that I, that I have today. And so sometimes in scarcity, we, we produce or scarcity produces in us an abundance of other things, the right people. I think correction is like that. You know, you can overcorrect, can't you? You can overcorrect, and, and there's a big debate in raising kids as to what's abuse and what's appropriate and what's not enough, and you can get in culture's debate. Be very careful about debating with the world about God's teachings, you know what I mean? Because you're not going to win. You wrestle with a pig. You both get dirty, and the pig likes it. I've told you that many, many times. And so really we find our answers in the Word of God, but it's through correction that, that we get the right habits and values produced in our life. Because we're born sinful. And when we're young, our parents have to kind of give us that. And if, and if parents aren't around, it's grandparents. And if they're not around, God will substitute. I've read you that passage before about God being the father of the fatherless. And he takes care of his children. But correction's kind of like that. And correction comes in a variety of ways. It's not always about you did wrong, here's your punishment, and then we, and then, and then we restore. It's not always like that. I'm going to give you a couple examples. One, when I was young, I bought some roses for my, for my now, she's my wife now, but I bought some roses. I think it's ninth grade, 10th grade. I just called down Scott County for a bottom and put them on my mom and dad's tab. That's how I did that. <laughs> True story. <laughs> After basketball, pra- no, yes, yeah, basketball practice one day, mom picked me up. This really happened. I'm not exaggerating, but tears were rolling down her eyes. And I was like, what's wrong? She, and she gave me the bill. It's forty dollars for a dozen roses. Now that was back in nineteen ninety. That was a long time ago. But anyway, and, and and I didn't realize. You know what I mean? I didn't realize that 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 was that was going to cost something. And so that was correction to me. She didn't whip me. She didn't verbally abuse me. All she did was handed me a slip, a, a bill. You know what I mean? And that was correction. And so, how do you learn things? You know how it's through correction. You know, we live in a world where nobody wants to be corrected for, for thinking and doing wrong. And that's just the truth, okay? It's just the truth. We live in a society that doesn't want to hear it. They think if they feel it, it's got to be right. Now, I don't want to get too, too far caught off into that, but God doesn't function that way. And we're going to look at that today in a story in, in Genesis when I was in college, I, I had a 1.4 after my first semester, and I had a basketball scholarship. And so, yeah, it's funny. Isn't it? But, co- <laughs> oh my, you've been there. And so, coach, in his, he just met with me. He didn't, he didn't run me or anything. He said, if, if, if this is what you have at the end of the first, the second semester, you're done. I mean, it's as simple as that. And I, and I didn't love anything uh, uh, about like, school but I learned to love it because it gave me access to something else playing a game you know what I mean Um, you know many uncomfortable moments and we we get corrected here's the deal with adulthood when we get to adulthood we think we think we've arrived and made it I probably get corrected more now because my influence is greater now does that make sense to you when I was young it was just mom and dad my sweet little girlfriend, and the Lord. But now it's, my, I'm influencing you guys, you know, and you're influencing each other, and you're influencing people at your workplace. I'm not, I'm not elevating myself. I'm just saying, once you grow, God continues 
to correct us and in a variety of ways. It's not always about somebody sitting down and saying you're wrong. Because honestly, things of the Spirit, if God has told me to do something and I don't do it, you don't know that. But I know it in my spirit because God has testified to my spirit. Does that make sense? Correction is most easily understood. I'm going to give you an example. And it's on display with sporting teams. It's like in, my, in a basketball season, we have to take at the beginning, create the right kind of habits, effort, energy, attitude, all that stuff that we have to have to build you know, the foundation. And then we have to cut out some of the stuff that we don't want, like one-handed catches and one-handed passes and jumping in the air to pass. That's just basketball terminology. But it's little things like that that we have to correct over and over and over and over again. And it's easy to see with an effective leader, coach, in a season, a sport, because you see them carving those things out. And it's easy to see fruit because the players are willing to do it. Some players are even eager to do it. I had this player, his name was Andy Arnold. Does anybody know Andy Arnold? Funny youngin. But also coached Austin Arnold, his cousin. I almost never had to correct Andy, but I had to correct Austin all the time. You know, and it's not because either one of them's bad, good, or anything like that. But it was, here's the story and the reason I tell you those two kids. I'm in practice one day, and Austin did one of those jump in the air, off one foot, throw the ball, something silly like that. And so I said, Austin, get over here. And it was like the 20th time I'd told him. Well, Andy Arnold runs and gets in my face and says, I am Andy, and turns around and walks <laughs> And turns around and walks away. And I was like, what did he just do? <laughs> and so it killed practice, but it was funny. But basically what, he, what Andy was doing, Andy was eager to learn. Like he was going to the instructor at just the hint that, it, that I might be talking to him and saying, yes, sir, what do you want? Now, my question to you in the, in the church of God is this. Are we that way with God? Or are we more like the one that doesn't want to listen? You hear what I'm saying? We might be willing to learn, but not really eager. It works best if you're eager. The best teams are created with guys and girls, whoever the team is, uh, with players that are eager to learn. And so that's kind of where we're at today. Correction. How do you deal with correction? Because you will be corrected. I get corrected daily. Sometimes it's through my family. Sometimes it's through my colleagues. But most of the time it's through the Lord. And the closer you get to him, the more you'll, you'll, more you'll hear his voice. And as you mess up, you'll know it before anybody ever has to tell you. That's how that works. But I want to take you to a story in Genesis. I told you to go to chapter 4. Genesis is the origin of all things. It's the record of the origin of all things. It's probably the most important book in the Bible. Because every other book, Old Testament, New Testament, references Genesis more than any other book and the characters in Genesis. But basically, chapters 1 through 11 deals with humanity and some things that we need to learn. We're going to learn a couple of them today, humanity and God's creation. And then when we get to chapter 12, like chapter one, chapters 1 through 11 is a universal thing. There's a focus on universe, uh, universal focus. It means it, basically God is, is showing all people his heart, and he's created all people, and he loves all people, and it's all about all people. And then you get to chapter 12, and God has some covenants, and he gets to this place where he decides to tell Abraham, he picks one guy, Abraham, and says, I'm going to bless all nations, of all people from all nations, I'm going to bless through you. And so we see in chapter 12, all the way through the end of the Old Testament, a focus on one family, 
on one clan, on one group of people. We call them the Israelites, the children of God. Now, some people think that or even make the statement that God is a bigot and that he likes a certain group of people more than he likes others. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he chose Abraham and the people group, the Israelites, through which to bring the Messiah. And so from Genesis 12 all the way through the end of the Old Testament, we find this teaching about this family, this one group, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we see a family, a family group created a nation. And it's through that nation, as we keep going through, and we see David. Y'all remember we talked about that a few weeks ago? Uh, Obed, Jesse, and David. And it's through that people group that we find the Messiah. And then when Jesus comes and does what Jesus does, guess what happens in the New Testament? We went from a universal focus in chapters 1 through 11 to a family focus, a people group, God's chosen people. And now in the New Testament, it goes back to universal. And so you need to understand that about Genesis and about the Bible, that God came to save all people. He loves us all. Okay? In Genesis chapter 4, we're going to find the first person that was ever born. What was his name? Cain. And then the second person was Abel. I think they were twins from what I read. But Abel was born, uh, Cain was born first. Go to chapter 4 of Genesis. If I get lost today, you guys just find me, okay? We're going to talk about these two people, Cain and Abel. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. This tells us that, that Adam and Eve gave credit to God for Cain. And so it tells me that Cain was raised in a godly home. Cain was raised understanding what the right kind of offering is, a sacrifice and all that stuff, and so was Abel. It says, then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, and here's what that literally means if you go back to the Hebrew uh, translation, word for word. It doesn't mean process of time. It's really not a great translation. It means at the end of days. So it's the end of a certain period of time. And here, here's what most Bible scholars believe, that at the end of their childhood, when they became accountable for themselves, no longer under the covering of Adam and Eve, they're going out on their own. At the end of that period of time, it says, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. Verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, and most translations, or a lot of other translations say, if you do the right thing, if you do what's right... Will you not be accepted? And if you don't do what's right, sin lies at the door. And its desire, sin, is for you, but you should rule over it. We're going to stop at verse 7 for just a second. God is beginning to introduce, not the idea, but the fact that sin separates. 
And that sin is always crouching at the door, waiting for you to open the door. And when you don't live or submit to God, God says here to Cain that sin is crouching at the door. And so we start starting to see two men, Cain and Abel, who are going to take two different paths. Okay, they're going to take two different paths. One's going to take the path of not submitting to God, doing his own thing, and the other one's going to take the path of submitting to God and doing things the way God has called them. Now, as we go to verse 6, this made me think of this story this week too. Leanne got me on it, but this also made me think of it. You know how we talk about the world's crazy and it's worse than it's ever been? and You know how we all say that? We all say it, don't we? (laughs) Most of us anyway. And I've never seen it this way, and surely God's coming back soon. I believe that. But over the next few verses, I want to reassure you that it's always been this way. The first person ever born murders his brother. You know what I mean? It doesn't get any worse than that. Verse 8 says, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And here's how I think that conversation went. I think Cain was like, Man, can you believe God didn't accept my the, the fruit of my labor? Can you believe that? And Abel's probably like saying, Hey, you remember what mom and dad taught us? That it takes blood sacrifice. It takes blood for the remission of sins. And, and that's why God, God has said, prescribed it to be this way. But you did it this way. And so Abel gets, or Cain gets mad at Abel because Abel's telling him the truth. It says it came to pass that they were, they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Have you noticed that this world, when people like you and me speak the truth to a cultural lie, that it makes them angry? Huh? See, this is an, I think it's called an allegory. It's really, what it, what it is, is it's teaching us something through a history, something that happened. It teaches us a life lesson. That's why this world is so hostile toward Christians who proclaim the truth. Now, that's not going to change. And we all can get in circles where we talk about it and we say we're going to pray about it. And we're going, it started with the first two people that were ever born. Those that submit to God will always be persecuted by those who choose not to. Okay, and that's the society we live in. Now, I'm just going to tell you personally, you do have to be careful what you post or what you say or what you speak or what you write down. you got to be selective. You don't want to be hurtful because I also believe that anything that I say or you say that offends or hurts a certain people group is probably not the right way to approach that. That's not from the love of Christ. And so we need to be very careful there. But verse 9 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I want, to, I want you to pay attention to his response. Because let me ask you a very basic question in Christianity, in our walk. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. The Bible says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. I am my brother's keeper. So we see the enemy already influencing a people group through Cain. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, the Lord said to him, said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Verse 13 says, and Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. 
Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. I like this. I, in, in my, just just in, my account, in my opinion, even those who don't do the will of God, they know he's in charge. You know what I'm saying? They do. That's why they're so angry about it. That's why they're so angry about it. Because they can't do nothing about it. But they still choose their own way. It says, I, I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it, sh- and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And I want you to listen to what verse 15 says. Because here we see the heart of God. If, if I was God, I probably would have went ahead and eliminated Cain and said, you're, you're evil. Let's go ahead and move on. That's not God's heart. Listen to this. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. What did he do? He had mercy on Cain. He didn't kill him. Now, he didn't bless him like he's getting ready to bless the next generation. But Cain goes on, and I, I want to read verse 16, and this is an important verse. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. I wish I could give you more Bible history, but you need to go and read it for yourself. Cain goes on to build a people group that did not and do not to this day follow God. They don't honor God. They don't submit to God. They're controlled by the enemy. But it says Cain went out from uh, the presence of the Lord. But we've got Cain and Abel here, one willing to submit and the other not. And here's why his sacrifice was not uh, accepted. And I think this is important for us to know. The reason Cain's was not accepted is because it was, it was the fruit of the ground. See, God requires the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And that's important in our faith. Because Jesus Christ came and shed his blood for the remission of our sins. It's important. We find it in the Mosaic Law in Leviticus that for the life... For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. What does atonement actually mean? Here's I'm gonna give you the I'm gonna break it apart for you. It means at one. So God and I are at one through the process. M-E-N-T means the process for which we are made at one. And so it's the shedding of blood that makes us at one with God. God says this to Cain. We can't have fellowship. We can't commune. We can't talk. We can't walk together unless you bring me an acceptable sacrifice. That's what he said. And I'm going to tell you something. God corrected Cain back here in verse, I believe it was verse uh, 4. Hold on. No, verses 6 and 7. He says, if you do right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do right, sin lies at the door. And its desire, sin, is for you. Is that not sin's desire? It's easy to see it in other people's lives, isn't it? Just to be honest. It's easy for me to pick it out in your life. I can see the fruit of your sin better than you can see the fruit of your sin. And you can see the fruit of my sin better than I can see the fruit of my sin. You see what I mean? That's why we got mirrors, <laughs> so we can see each other. That's also why we got accountability partners, and we, are, we, we ought to be trusting. But the Bible goes on to say that Abel's sacrifice was accepted because of faith. And here's what that means. See, faith is not just believing in God. Most of us believe in God. Faith is taking a step even though I can't see. 
Faith is offering something that is very difficult for me to offer, but because God said to offer it, I'm going to offer it. That's what Abel did. Cain just went out and got some of the fruit from his produce and thought, hey, God, you and I are okay. And God says, no, we're not. It takes atonement. It takes blood It takes blood to atone for your sin. And that was taught by their parents. Hebrews 9.22b says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission or atonement. It's an important uh, concept in the church of God that it takes blood sacrifice. Now, we live in the New Testament church. Praise the Lord. We, we don't have to do this yearly. That, that's why he cre- through Abraham, he made a family group, the Israelites, from which Jesus came. And Jesus came as the Son of God to redeem us. Hebrews 11, 4 says, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Abel left a legacy. I want to talk about Cain for just a second. His offering, in essence, Cain said to God, we're all right without atonement. And God said, no, we're not. And see, there's where the culture and the church collide. I've watched TV shows a long time ago. I haven't seen this in a while, but that said there's a hundred different ways to the Father. That's, that's a lie straight from the pit of Hades. There's not a hundred different ways to the Father. I told our children today there's only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he offered on Calvary. True? Uh, We've learned that our whole life, haven't we? That's foundational to our faith. Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Lord told Cain, he said, why are you angry? Why are you mad? You You know what's right. If you do right, you'll be accepted. I think this is important. If we don't get anything else today, I think we need to get verse 7 where it says, and if you do not do what is right, sin lies at the door. See, you're at that crossroads. When you're corrected as a child or corrected as an adult, you're at a crossroads. You're at a fork in the road. I looked up images and I looked up fork in the road, and guess what I found? An actual fork stuck in the road. I don't know if that's... I started to put it on here. But, but really, you're at, a fork, you're at a fork in the road. Do you know how important it is when you're corrected to make the right decision? See, young people think that old people are just picking on them. You know, I get it at school all the time. They just don't want us to have fun or, you know, don't want us to be individualized how's that working out in our society (laughs) yeah it's not is it just go and be what you want to be and do what you want to do and let's see how it turns out it don't work out very well god's way is the only way and we find that through abel cain had a decision to make and when he was at this place and he did make a decision he chose to kill his brother and to keep going down this path of sin and what does sin do the new testament is clear about it anybody know What does it produce? Death. Now, I've preached on this before. Not just death of physical body, but death of relationships, death of a dream, death of a job, you know, death of influence, death of peace. I mean, it produces death. Sin produces death. Isn't that true? And so he continued to be sinful. And if you'll read about Cain's uh, genealogy, you'll find that, that he produced a a family of people, a group of people who, who are successful in what they're doing, but they don't honor God, and death is written all over them. They're mean. They kill. You know, just death and destruction is, is one of the characteristics of Cain's uh, descendants. 
And so we, we like Cain, we get to these places and we like, okay, God has corrected me. What will I do with it? And here's, here was Cain's response. He did not accept the Lord's correction. He murdered his brother, which is symbolic of the world's attitude toward Christians. Have you even noticed that the news media won't speak at all against the Islamic faith? Have you ever noticed that? Oh, don't no, don't touch them. They have a right to believe what they want to believe. But when you talk about Christianity, keep those conservative Christians in a corner somewhere and don't give them any coverage. You don't hear anything about Christianity on the news. You don't watch it enough. I don't even watch it anymore. Maybe you all do, but you don't hear much about it. If it is, it's like five seconds and it's over with. Thank God for some dig- for some people of prominence who actually, when they get interviewed after ball games and stuff, they'll say, I want to praise the Lord, you know, and they can't avoid showing that on there. You know, I like that part. But if you know, if you ever notice, that's, that's the world's attitude toward Christians. You know what I mean? If we stand on truth and stand upon something that we believe is right, when we do that, we're going to face persecution. I'm not saying don't do it. You should do it. But you should do it with, with wisdom. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and he created a people group who did not honor God. And if you'll, if you'll notice, that people group is still alive today. There's a lot of people that you and I know that, that don't honor God. And if you even mention, if you even mention God to them, they'll nod, and especially if they're your friends, but they're not taking any of it in. It's going through one ear and out the other. There's a big people group like that. But we're going to end with this. But God, this is good who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Because it's by grace, it's a free gift, not that you deserve it, that you have been saved. So what happens after Abel gets murdered? Remember, he's the first. And if you'll read in there, you'll see that they have more children and more children. But guess who was born after Abel passed away? Go to Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. I'm going to read it to you. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. Now remember, Cain's people went out from the presence of the Lord and started doing their own thing. Do we, do we live amongst people who are doing their own thing? Yes, we do. Nothing's changed since the beginning of time, guys. I, I mean, God's still in control. He's established a people group for Himself. We're amongst that group. Isn't that, isn't that a blessing? And he also, it says here, she bore him a son named Seth, for God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. And listen what it says at the end of verse 26. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? God is always about redeeming the lost. And so my question to you is this. How, how will you deal with correction? We saw how Cain dealt with it. God's, God's will is going to be done either way. Are you going to be a part of it or not? Am I going to be a part of it or not? Because His will is going to be done. You can't stop it and I can't stop it. I want to be a part of it. Don't you all? I want to be a part of it. Because there's fruit in that. You know, Dave and I talk all the time about this very, this very thing, about how the fruit of living a life that is honoring God is so much sweeter than the fruit of living your own life. There just didn't any fruit in that one. It's death. It's awful. It's bitter. You know what I mean? But the devil's a deceiver and a schemer and a liar. So which path will you choose? Because that is us every day when we get to a crossroads making decisions. 
See, we think life sometimes is about the big decisions. It's really not. It's the little things. And it's about daily. What will you decide? And so bow your heads with me and we'll finish up. Heavenly Father, thank you for this group of people. And God, now as we present our lives to you, um, God, I believe that there are people here, and you know I'm one of them too, who get to these crossroads from time to time and make wrong decisions. God, your Bible, your word teaches us that there is grace for wrong decisions as well. And so even if we went down a bad road, a wrong road, and God, I know sometimes we, we wish we could turn around and back up and correct it, but Lord, that's not always possible. But it is possible that wherever we are on that road, that you will give us the grace to choose another direction. And so for each person here today, I pray for enough grace to choose a better direction. So Lord, as this church grows, I pray that you would disciple each person here and help them to grow individually and help us to grow collectively. Lord, we thank you for that. And God, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, God, in their heart and with their lips, Lord, if they would just believe in their heart that, that you are Lord, God, that you sent your son Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross, and that three days later you raised him from the dead, they shall be saved. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to do that, I pray they would seek me out after church today, and we would discuss that together. Lord, thank you for this group of people. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.